0: Bruce Birch died on March the 12th, 2022 at the age of 69 after a long courageous battle with leukemia. You may not recognize his name, but you will recognize the songs he wrote. The songs will live forever and he will forever live in them. I followed Bruce's career with great interest. I met Bruce Birch about 50 years ago in Athens, Georgia, the University of Georgia. We were fraternity brothers and spent several years hanging out with a great group of folks at the Lambda Chi House at 990 South Milledge Avenue in Athens. Bruce probably wrote thousands of songs. A songwriter's life is not easy. Rejection after rejection, I suppose. Most songs get turned down. For those that actually are cut and make it on an album, make all the rejection worthwhile. Bruce wrote songs recorded by such artists as George Jones, Aaron Tippin, Faith Hill, Billy Joe Royal, The Oak Ridge Boys, Barbara Mandrell, John Anderson, Wayne Newton, T. Graham Brown, Reba McIntyre, and the list goes on. In 1990, Bruce got his first number one hit called Rumor Has It that was co-written by Vern Dant and Larry Shell. It released in 1990 by Reba McIntyre. Just a couple of years later, he got his second number one hit entitled It's Your Call that he co-wrote with Liz Hingber and Shauna Harrington. And there were many more songs you would recognize, like Wine in the Water and The Last Resort, Recorded and released by T. Graham Brown. I Got It Honest by Aaron Tippin. And the last song he wrote that I predict you'll be hearing about in the future was called I Am A Song, released by T.G. Shepard. As you know, lyrics in the country music world tell a story. Bruce's life was not easy, but his story is amazing and inspiring. Like the rest of us, there were ups and downs. For him, sometimes extreme highs and other times extreme lows. I suspect his best songs were written during the extreme times. The song, It's Your Call, is a confrontational song. The phone rings, the wife answers. She realizes it's the other woman. Her challenge to her husband is straightforward. It's your call. Not only is the phone for you, but you'll have to decide. If it's me or her, we all come to crossroads in our lives. We all have to make many calls in our life at the most difficult times. We can choose to take the high road and impact our lives and those around us in a positive way. Or we can join the masses and choose the wide path that most time leads to destruction. The Bruce Birch story is messy but his life was filled with great calls that he made at the most difficult times in his life and great calls the people around him made. In the end, the lives we build are a result of the calls we make when it matters the most. And each one of us are responsible for each call we make. It's your call. It's always your call. This former number one hit, was sung by Liz Hengber, one of the co-writers of the song at Bruce's memorial service in Nashville. I hope Reba won't mind, but I brought her in at the bridge.
1: I want to tell you a little, bit of, uh, little story about the song I'm about, I'm about to sing. Uh, me, Bruce, and Shawna Harrington were honored to have a number one with Reba called It's Your Call. That's the song I'm going to sing. Um, and there's a little story i got to tell about it. Uh, that just tells you the kind of lyricist he was. And uh, we were in the writing room, and It's Your Call is a song about the other woman calling the husband's house. And the wife, in this case, Riva is basically saying her, her, me or her, you know, it's your call. So it's that confrontation song. And it was going good. We were writing a great song at Starstruck, and but we, we couldn't get a bridge. And we were sitting there for literally two hours. and The song was so good, and the bridge just wasn't coming. So, you know, I, I almost gave up. I went out to get coffee, came back with my coffee, and there's Bruce, and he's so humble. As we know, Bruce was so humble, and he's just sitting there goes, I, I don't think this is any good. I said, well, Bruce, what do you got? And he said, uh, this is the bridge. There's no easy way out this time, because I won't live this way. She called here to talk to you with a message I can't take. And when he said it, chills just went up and down my. He goes, "Do you think that's the line?" I said, "That is the line that's going to get this song cut." And uh, it was. uh, So I'm going to sing it for you. I hope I can do you justice. you rather take it in the other room? She's hanging on,
2: and so am I. Yeah, I know all about it. Don't act
1: so surprised. It's time to end this game you're playing. She's not the It's your car, it's up to you, and I won't try to stop you if you go, but if you stay, tell her goodbye. I can't take another minute, can't stand another night, I'm wondering if I even matter, it's something.
3: Shoot.
0: This is Bruce Goddard, and you're listening to the View from a Hearst podcast. I've got my longtime friend and fraternity brother, David Birch, with me. David is the older brother of Bruce Birch, who we're going to be talking about today. Bruce was also my fraternity brother, so all three of us were fraternity My brother, George, was in the same fraternity, so all of us go back a long ways, but I was messaging Bruce back in February of this year, had no idea of his extent of his illness, and wanting him to be on this podcast. I had just started this podcast in January, and in February, I was messaging him because I knew it would be a great story to tell, and I know it's been ups and downs. You don't, a songwriter's life has got to be ups and downs, and I knew that his story would inspire people because he's written some Number one songs, and we're going to talk about some of that as you listen to this. The last message he sent me was a month before he died, and he said, Bruce, I really want to do this. I'm not feeling too good. I want to get my feet under me, and I I want to do it. And then the next thing I knew, I heard that he'd passed away. There's been a lot of accolades since then about Bruce's ability. So, David, thank you for doing this. It's been six months about since he passed away. I know. that you're very proud on one side that you've seen the impact your brother has had on the music world and on others. And on the other side, you're sad because you lost your very best friend in the world, your brother that was a year and a half younger that you grew up with. So I know even sitting on this show, you're having mixed emotions is even talking about all this, right?
4: Yeah, it's been a tough six months. Uh I like you, I knew Bruce was sick, but I don't think until about three, four days before he passed away that I really know how sick he was. Uh, A couple of weeks before he passed away, we were talking one night and I said, Bruce, you got a lot of people that love you. You got to keep fighting. And he said, David, I'm tired. And I said, Bruce, I know you're tired. But you got to keep fighting. he said, David, you didn't hear me. I'm tired. I kind of knew then that he was ready to go. And it wasn't but about two weeks later that he did pass away. He had fought a long time leukemia from the time he was 37. Along the way, he developed a form of Parkinson's where he shook a little bit. His lip quivered. Then they found uh, brain tumors back in the back bite part of his head. Last November, October, began to diagnose those. They took the brain tumors out in a surgery and then radiated him for 30, 40 days. And I think that took the will to live out of his cell. Wow. Wow. So
0: well, I had no idea that I knew that he had had leukemia. I've seen Bruce several times through the years, but I had no idea. So David, before we get in the story of your brother, let me introduce you first so people know who we're talking to. When I was initiated into Lambda Chi Alpha, you were the president of Lambda Chi Alpha, and you were three years older than me. Uh, I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for you. I knew that you would be very successful in life. Have you ever thought about the the success that so many people that were in that fraternity with us as we were kids, partying, having fun. But the people that came out of there, it, it's incredible. I mean, your story is amazing, and there are other stories.
4: Yeah, I, I, I run into fraternity brothers all the time, and I, I, I'm so proud of so many of our young men. Other great fraternity brothers of ours have had so much success you and your
0: brother grew up in the chicken business in Gainesville, Georgia. And Bruce came from the same parents that you did. You guys went completely different ways. So let's talk about a little bit about lay the foundation of what was going on in Gainesville, Georgia when you were kids.
4: Dad, he got into the education business first and actually coached basketball and taught at Pepperell High School. And he got recruited to go into the hog business. So he moved to Hiram, Georgia and helped manage a big hog farm there in Hiram, Georgia. And then he got recruited to come to Gainesville in 1960 to go into the chicken business. And he worked in for a big hatchery there that he was basically the, the field doctor for that hatchery. He'd go into the field and if chickens were sick, he could cut a chicken open, diagnose what it had and prescribe medications, to get the whole flock well. And so, Dad started buying chicken farms and leasing farms. He had a company called Lease Farms Incorporated. And at one point he had six chicken farms and a million laying hens. So Bruce and I would play football on Friday night. And at 5.30 Saturday morning, we were in the chicken house, Saturday morning and Sunday morning.
0: So then Bruce turned out to be, he played college football at, where did he play, East Tennessee State? Is that right?
4: Bruce was a great high school athlete, albeit he was a pretty small guy. You know, he was 5'10", and in high school, maybe 150 pounds, ringing wet. But when you got hit by Bruce Burks, you knew you'd been hit. He was a defensive back, and he played with intensity. So a small college, East Tennessee State, picked him up, and he went up there. In the first year, Bruce, they were 0-10. Bruce was not a loser. He didn't like losing, so he called me at the end of that season and said, I'm going to transfer to Georgia and maybe play intramural ball with you. And so, that's what he did. You were
0: already there and having your younger brother who was your best friend come join you in at Lambda Chi House had to be a thrill for you, right?
4: It was. It was great. It was great. It was a, a great reunion, being able to being the fraternity together, Bruce enjoyed the people. Bruce wasn't as serious about fraternity as I was. Of course, you,
0: this successful business life, you're beginning this path that you were on. And all of a sudden, Bruce is starting to figure out that he likes country music and writing music. Was he doing that at the fraternity house? I don't remember him writing music he, there, clear. but he probably was.
4: He was actually doing it in high school. He he fell in love with Chris Christopherson, and Chris Chris Christopherson, as many of you may know, uh, you know he was a Rhodes Scholar and a very smart guy, great prolific writer. Of course, turned out to be an actor and right. a little bit of everything. And Bruce really got to be enamored with his songs and the music business. And he and Johnny Gerard, who now the foundation is named for. Bruce worked uh, nights and weekends at the Days Inn for Durwood Pennington, who was the toe from K-Road. Durwood was our high school football coach, and Bruce and I just loved Durwood to death. So uh, he had a Days Inn there, and Bruce, Bruce and Johnny would sit in the restroom right off the lobby, and they'd play songs to each other that they'd written. (laughs) back when they were in high school. So he was writing country music when he was in high school. Yeah, I didn't know it.
0: When he took off after college and took his, I guess he was already married by then to Cindy. I know they dated at the fraternity house. I remember Cindy well.
4: Yeah, he actually came back to Gainesville first and he coached uh, at Gainesville High for one year and taught at Gainesville High and then gave up coaching and teaching and he and a young man uh, that grew up with us in Gainesville with tracy battle they moved to los angeles and he started writing music in los angeles but was he married then or not married yet he was not married then okay so when he got out to la he and tracy both worked for a deli. i think they worked in a delicatessen during the day bruce was writing songs and everybody that heard his song said bruce You don't need to be in L.A., you need to be in Nashville. Right. So he stayed in L.A. for maybe a year, year and a half, and then he moved to Nashville, and that's when he and Cindy got married.
0: And I know that our mutual fraternity brother, Ben Folk, and Jody, his brother, they were all in the hot dog business. I remember uh, Bruce getting in the hot dog business. Did you think he'd lost his mind when he moved to to
4: Nashville? What are you doing? I'm sure you did. Yeah. Jody Folk, uh, Benji's older brother, had a, I think he was in the insurance business up there, but he also had a hot dog shop called the Saucy Dog. And Bruce and Benji, I think, worked there at the Saucy Dog, and they were slinging chili on hot dogs. And it was down on Second Avenue, right downtown Nashville.
0: What's funny, though, to me, what's ironic is here you are, you got this path. You're going down the business world. And then you got bruce you came from the same people and he's out here selling hot dogs or being whatever he was doing to make enough money to pay the bills so he could write music and you had to think my gosh he's lost his mind
4: (laughs) you know while he was working there at the saucy dog he wrote a a song because he had to chop up onions all the time for the hot dogs he wrote a song called it's only these onions that are making me cry (laughs) (laughs) And he couldn't get anybody to cut it. And finally, remember the old actor Slim Pickens? Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah.
4: Slim Pickens was Bruce's first cut record. It's only these onions that are making me cry. Unbelievable.
0: Unbelievable. Folks, we're talking to David Birch. He's from St. Simon's Island. He's the older brother of Bruce Birch, prolific Nashville songwriter who passed away this past March. David is talking about Bruce's move and what he was doing in Nashville. David, I'm sure that as he began to write these songs, and at some point, I guess it was in the late 80s, uh, and I think he wrote thousands of songs, and I I would love to know you know, what you were thinking and what was going, just from your big brother's perspective of what was going on. But all of a sudden, he had a number one hit, Uh, rumor has it, and Reba McIntyre what was going on in your family when all that happened? I'm sure there was some stuff coming up to that, but was that unexpected? Did you were you blown away?
4: Well, Bruce had had a lot of success. You know, T. Graham Brown had cut a song that went to number two on the charts. Billy Joe Royal cut "Out of Sight," but on my mind, uh, T. Graham Brown did one called "The Last Resort." Walker Mandrell uh, cuts a song that did real well. So he was beginning to have a lot of success with, you know, getting songs cut. Uh, Bruce didn't own his own publishing. He had somebody else publishing. And, you know, you make money three ways in the music business, Uh, either publishing royalties, writer's royalties, or artist royalties. And what Bruce figured out was, hey, I'm writing the songs or I'm co-writing the songs but I really need to find a way to get part of the publishing, but he needed help with that. So he and I teamed up together and I provided the money and he provided the smarts. And we formed a company called Birch Brothers Music. And we actually began publishing uh, Bruce's songs and going into studio and paying demo artists to do the songs that he felt like had a great chance of getting cut. And that's how he got the cut with Reba. He, he had an artist that sounded very much like Reba, go in studio, cut that song, and then he knew enough people to get the song to Reba's management. And that's how he got that cut. Wow.
0: And so what was everybody's reaction when that, that song hit number one?
4: It had oh, to be unbelievable. It was, it was, unbe- it was life-changing for Bruce.
0: Yeah, he was now. He was on award shows. You'd see him on TV. and Yeah,
4: yeah and Cindy. And, you know, uh, they would invite Bruce to come to the American Society of Country Associated Professionals called ASSAP, ASCAP. They would invite him to the Broadcast Music Industry BMI Awards. And he would go. And I remember he invited me and Terry one time. And we went to the, I think it was the BMI Awards and we're standing in line with Bruce and Cindy walking in, and I look around behind me, and Vince Gill is standing right behind me with those steel blue eyes, and I punched Terry. She looked around, and she liked to drop it right there. I mean, we were around all these famous country music stars, and I actually got to meet Reba at that, uh, that evening.
0: Now, so this is the thing that, that I talk about a lot, is to win, you got to be willing to lose. And, 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 you know, Bruce had taken major chances, all this up and downs of music, and he, he couldn't be good on the marriage. <laughs> I mean, yep. it, it just, that you, I think everybody understands when you're a writer of music, probably 90% or 95% of the stuff you turn in, you get rejected. So you yep. got to be able to, to have tough skin. But he was willing to take chances and somehow he made a decision in life. I want to do this and he did it. He went after it and you got to tip your hat to him, you know, for what he
4: did. Bruce had a quality that if he loved something, he pursued it until every door was shut in his face. And he did that with football. He did that with the music business. He did that with so many things in his life and you know, he just, he had persistence at everything he did. And I really attribute the, the fact that he never was willing to give up to the success he had in the music business with those number one hits and the numerous cuts that he got.
0: Yeah, I mean, you th- think about the persistence and the ter- determination he had to have. And, and most people, as you know, quit when the victory is right through the next door. <laughs> How many times right. have you seen that? And and you know, that was his dream and to all of a sudden have her number one hit and then it was so many songs. I mean that rumor has it is a great song. It's your call that uh Reba did also is a is a really to me it's almost a theme of Bruce's life. What happened with that song? I mean that was another incredible
4: song. It it really happened right after the first song. He he was on a roll, and Reba liked him. And uh, Reba cut more than two of his songs. Uh, those were the two that went number one. But you know, going back to Bruce a little bit, you know, you know how uh, a newspaper reporter would always carry one of those little bitty notepads with the spiral on it. Bruce always had a notepad in his pocket because anytime somebody said something like, it's your call, he'd write that down. And then he, that would be the theme of his song. Rumor has it, uh, wine into water. A lot of these songs, he picked a line that somebody said and said, boy, that's a good theme," And he wrote a song about that. He had an uncanny ability to take, an idea like that. And as you heard on the, the, uh, uh, ceremony in Nashville, Bruce wrote the bridge to a lot of songs when the rest of the writers were sitting there scratching their heads. And he just had that uncanny ability to tie a song together. Like nobody I ever knew.
0: Bruce also had a huge heart but Bruce helped a heck of a lot of people in this, in this music world, didn't
4: he? Well, he helped a lot of aspiring young writers that came to Nashville that were just like him when he got there. And Bruce got to where he knew pretty much everybody in Nashville, so he could open doors for a young writer that they couldn't open for themselves. Yeah. And quite frankly, he didn't have to do that. He did that because he loved people. A couple other things that people probably don't know that, you know, Bruce. When Bruce was diagnosed with leukemia, it was the same day that my little girl was born, May first, 1991. uh, May 24th, 1991. Excuse me, I better get that right. Yeah. But um, my second phone call after calling mom and dad after Bruce told me he had leukemia was, I called the Leukemia Society and said, I just found out my little brother's got leukemia. What can we do to help the Leukemia Society? And Bruce and I got together, and Rhubarb Jones, the country music uh, disc jockey in Atlanta at Y106, was a good friend of Bruce, was playing a lot of Bruce's music. And Bruce and I said, well, why don't we start a golf tournament and let's name it after Rhubarb? That'll get Rhubarb excited and get him involved. And so we started, with Rhubarb's help, and the Leukemia Society support the Rhubarb Jones Leukemia Golf Classic. And that thing blossomed from a little bitty tournament that we used to have at a a golf course up in Marietta to a huge golf tournament that was on two courses at the Golf Club of Georgia with Charlie Daniels being the prime entertainment at the end of the night. And over the 20 years that we did that, Bruce, Rhubarb, and the Leukemia Society raised over $3 million. So
0: again, that's another example of you, you get this terrible news that you've got leukemia. That's got to be a bad day for you, for Bruce, for everybody, for Cindy, for everybody who's involved. And your response is, you you got to gotta make a call. Do I go in the ditch, do I hover and say, my life is over, or do something good yeah you made a call and and you decided yeah. we're gonna we're gonna help raise money for this disease and again it's a decision you make people that listen to this things happen in this life i don't give a rip who you are things happen but you got a choice of how you're gonna respond
4: to it it is your call and he made the same call when john gerard passed away you know, johnny was his best friend from high school Johnny was in Nashville with him. Johnny had a lot of number one hits with Alabama, but Johnny had severe diabetes and they began cutting limbs off Johnny and he ended up dying of diabetes. Now, the first thing Bruce did after that is he went back to Gainesville and approached a group of leaders there in Gainesville and started the John Gerard Foundation to raise money for charities in Gainesville, Georgia in honor of John Gerard. Now he didn't have to do that.
0: Again, it was, and I actually was involved in that. I was, I had business in Gainesville and I was sponsored through my company of table, a couple of tables or whatever we did. And I was there a couple of times and I saw him. And again, it's a perfect example of in life, you got a lot of decisions to make that come at you every day. You can take the low road or the high road. You can do for the good of mankind or you can make it worse on you and everybody around you. And it's just right. a theme I see in his life that uh, even through his marriage, and I know, I mean, marriages can get messy. And his Cindy, who I knew from college, and he went through a divorce. And I know they had to go through messy times, there had to be conflict and all that. But at the end, Bruce and Cindy accepted each other, and, and somehow be friends and love
4: each other. Isn't that right? Yeah, they did. They, uh, they had, a, they had a, a difficult marriage at the end, and, you know, I don't, I don't know a lot, but I know Bruce was a tough guy uh, to live with being in the music business, and they ended up divorcing, but they never quit loving each other. Yeah. And, you know, I told Cindy at Bruce's memorial service that in sickness and in health, she took that vow. And even though she wasn't still married to Bruce, she really took care of him all the way through the last few years of his life, because when he left Gainesville and moved back to Nashville, Cindy became, you know, his keeper, if you will, even though she had remarried and had a happy marriage, she made sure that she took care of Bruce and
0: And so did her husband, Bruce, and her husband Joe became friends. And so again, divorce can be ugly, and you destroy each other. You destroy people that you 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 had kids by, and who kids who love both of you. They made a call somehow. Cindy made it. Bruce made it. They both had to make it at the end of the day. That we're going to embrace each other. And what they had was a beautiful story and that people can learn from. There are a lot of people listening to this that have been through divorce or recently been through divorce and they hate each other's guts and they're destroying each other and destroying themselves. It's your call. You can do that and be miserable or you can say, you know what? I'm gonna be a human being and I'm gonna take the high road here. It's another illustration of their life to me.
4: Yeah, it's it's a good thing. It is.
2: You know, we met at Georgia. We ultimately got married. He decided he was going to be a songwriter and we headed to Nashville. As you can tell from just listening to the Celebration of Life, how difficult, and you and I have talked about this too, how difficult it is to be successful as a songwriter. I mean, I don't even know what the odds would be, but you know, if you go in any restaurant in Nashville and you have any conversation with a waiter or waitress and you're like, what are you doing in Nashville? They're like, oh, i want to be in the music business you know and so anyway and simultaneous to that i was in the restaurant business so you've got kind of two really stressful situations going on you know so you're broke and you're working all these odd hours and we pretty quickly decided to have children and then that adds another component but we would tag off i work at night so i didn't have to leave kids in daycare and Bruce would write in the day and he would wait table some at night. So very stressful situation. But still, you know, we had great times. I mean, we had great friends. We were able to connect with a lot of people in Nashville and we didn't have any family in Nashville. But we ultimately made friends that were able to, you know, we would help them and they would help us with kids and picking up and doing a million different things. I feel like we had a happy life. We had a lot of stress, but we had fun and I remember when, rumor has it, went to number one, and I thought, yay, he's finally going to be satisfied. That didn't happen. (laughs) It was never enough, and he did have a huge passion to help people that were trying to get into the music business in whatever capacity, whether it was writing or an artist or whatever, and so... He always felt like he had to be at every showcase and everything. And people used to come and live with us. (laughs) We brought a couple of people into our homes. You know, it's like, okay, they're going to stay with us for several months. (laughs) But Bruce and I, one thing that we had, of course, our main common denominator was our love for our children and then ultimately love for grandchildren. So I've never really understood how if you really care about somebody that you just quit caring about them no matter what direction your life goes in. We both had a very odd sense of humor. <laughs> we would laugh at things that some people might not find funny. Of course, you know, Bruce was diagnosed um, with leukemia. It's been, oh gosh, 35 years ago. I think Sarah and Matthew were maybe 10 and 7. They were young. And that was very a very big hit. The main thing leukemia did to him, he went through a couple of chemo things, but then they decided at one point the chemo was was more dangerous to him than the disease. And so they quit doing that. But what the leukemia did is made him very immunocompromised. And so he, was, he would get sick really easily. He was in and out of the hospital a lot with pneumonias and different things. You know, he went through many years um, of being in pretty reasonable health. I think the main thing maybe that happened, he was very determined to do this program at the University of Georgia, start the business program. And I remember he would be upstairs on this little bitty computer. Computers were just coming into being and he would type up these proposals and then he ultimately did that. So he was going to Athens. I was staying in Nashville. You know, we just went our separate ways. Not to say there weren't some things that were like, I think you and I talked about, there were a lot of outside noises where people were trying to make it much worse than it was.
0: You married a wonderful man and you you have a wonderful marriage, even with all of that. And you knew you loved him since you were a teenager. Your Your husband had to know you loved him since he was a teenager, but both of you just accepted him in. You really looked after him.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think Bruce... And Joe knew each other through me before Bruce and I split up. And then what really happened, I think, finally, and I, I don't know how many years back it's been, Joe and I had just gotten married. So it must have been like 10 years ago or whatever. Bruce was in living in Gainesville at the time. You know, He moved from Athens, and then he went to Kennesaw, and then he went to Gainesville and was at now. And he got very sick with pneumonia and was hospitalized in Gainesville. And so we went down to Gainesville, me and the kiddos and grandkids and stuff. We all went to Gainesville and Bruce was very, very sick. And so I ended up staying in Gainesville, you know, married to Joe at the time, but I ended up staying in Gainesville for two weeks, you know, and stayed in the hospital every night with Bruce. Well, I had a hotel room, but I stayed at the hospital every night with him. And one of the main reasons is because I really, from being in Nashville, he had such a complicated history, health history. You know, he would get these random things. He had such a a complicated health history that I felt like I needed to be in Gainesville explaining to the doctors all his health history. So I stayed at a hotel room, but I would stay at the hospital probably 80% of the time. So um, anyway, so then he got discharged. Then he wasn't doing well. So Matthew drove to Chattanooga and met Cindy and Mike, you know, Bruce's sister, Cindy, Haynes. And we brought Bruce back up to my house with me and Joe. And that's really when we really were able to, I think Bruce before that didn't feel comfortable coming to my house. But then when Joe brought him in at that point and said, hey, Bruce, you can stay here as long as you need to. He ended up getting readmitted to the hospital in Nashville, which Joe had a very great connection with. So he was always able to
0: Joe is a surgeon. Yes. He had all of a sudden expert care right there yes. with him.
2: And also, you know how it, it never hurts to have a connection, you know, to a hospital. And he was able to also, Bruce and I had some very great relationships with his doctors at St. Thomas. Joe could make a phone call and cut through things and get a doctor on the phone. You know, this is Dr. Mulhern calling and I'm calling about, I mean, it's so funny because you can't imagine... And my daughter, Sarah, could tell you more about this. People would come in and go, now, who are all these people? Who are these people? Now, there's the the woman that comes. Now, if that's your mother, who is this person? And who is that doctor that comes in? <laughs> and they were like, they would be real perplexed. But then they would also, once we would just shoot straight, I'd go, listen, this is who we are. And they would just be, one doctor I remember in Gainesville, he, I, it almost brought him to tears. You know, it was like.
0: Can I tell you? It brought me to tears I just know that's not how people operate and I know it's a healthy thing in life we have calls to make and you had to suck it up Joe had to suck it up Bruce had to humble himself all of that and and the result was what you saw at that celebration of life and the impact all of you have had will continue to have and he'll live forever in all those songs he wrote it's just incredible what you did and I think that story needed to be told
2: if anybody needs a shout out, it needs to go to my husband because he totally embraced the situation. I think what I don't understand is why people want to do it the other way. You know, why do they want to be angry and hurt other people? And also, I think I told you too the other day, I was just so amazed immediately the day Bruce died. Some of Bruce's friends started his songwriting friends. People started calling me immediately. His friends were my friends and my friends were his friends. And they were so immediately willing from um, T.G. Shepherd to Kelly Mine to T. Graham Brown. They were like immediately, like Kelly and T.G. flew back from Kansas City from a concert they did that Saturday night to come. But they didn't ever not like me or, or my friends didn't ever, my friends all came, you know, the Zeta Babes came up from atlanta to bruce's thing because they all love bruce you know so we didn't have like friends that went oh i'm siding with bruce or i'm siding with cindy or any of that we had mutual friends
0: and you used a word the other day in a text that i think sums it up and it, you you said it's called unconditional love
2: unconditional love is loving people through i'm not perfect bruce loved me through a lot of things that i'm sure i did wrong and It is, it's, it's
0: unconditional. The decisions you made, the calls you made, it was a wonderful gift for your children. It was a wonderful gift for your grandchildren. Your grandchildren won't have memories of their grandparents hating each other. (laughs) All they will know is that they loved each other. And that's just a gift that most people in your situation don't do. It's unique. And I know there's people that's probably pulled over the side of the road right now listening to this. Listen to Cindy. She's telling you something that is different. Most people don't do, but she lived through it.
2: Also, Bruce was my best friend. And that's. this has been very hard from that perspective. I don't understand why people would want to do it the other way. You know, Um, it is a choice. It's a choice you make.
0: I also know, well, I see this on social media. That Bruce, he loved his kids and his grandkids,
4: and uh, that was a
0: huge part of who he was. Right?
4: He sure did. He he loved both his kids. Still loves them. He's still in you know he's in heaven loving them every day. But uh, he really lived for the grandchildren, and uh, he loved to go to you know watch his grandchildren play ball on the weekends. He loved to go to Chicago to see Sarah and see her two two little girls and uh you know that was what kept him going i think longer than he would have lived had he not had that to live for right that was a big part of his life and he 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 kept pushing himself and pushing himself to live so he could see them more and more and more
0: So I've got Matthew Birch here, and this is Bruce's one and only son, Matt. What was it like being Bruce Birch's son?
5: Well, Bruce, it was it was pretty great. I will say, you know, he uh, he was a great dad, and he was he was always there for me. You know, um, you know, as a kid, I saw firsthand his his diligence and how how someone can chase their dreams and and pursue their dreams and and reach their dreams and and still want to reach further and further you know i i i'm also a writer so just growing up and and seeing him you know in the living room every day just putting pen to paper with his best friends i was like that looks like a a career that (laughs) it's pretty good and so I've, i've followed in his footsteps in a way i'm not i don't write uh i don't write songs but uh I've definitely made a career out of out of my writing.
0: As you probably know, I have been in the funeral business big time all my life, and I've read more obituaries than you can shake a stick at. What you wrote about your dad was the best I I have ever read. It was absolutely incredible. You're You're gifted. Uh, You get that creative gene. I know from your dad. I got it, honest. And I think that's your favorite song that he ever wrote, right? Yeah.
5: It is. It's my favorite one. And and it's been at like so many key moments of my life. You know, it, um, it was the first song that my mom and I danced to at my wedding. My wife ended up singing, singing it at my dad's celebration of life here in Nashville. And, you know, it's just a song that whenever we put it on in my house, you know, I have two sons. And, you know, a lot of times my dad would be here and we would all play it. My kids would be dancing and, you know, we would just be all singing along and it just, you know, I think it was just such a perfect encapsulation of of him. You know, he put himself into that song. You know, he got it honest. He didn't have connections in Nashville that could just get him into the business. He, you know, as as you probably know, he he worked a lot of odd jobs, you know, at a hot dog stand, waiting tables, hotels. It's it's so cool to be able to put on his old songs and just feel him in those songs. You know, he's got this everlasting legacy that, you know, I can pass down to my kids and they can pass down to their kids. And, you know, I mean, music is just the universal language and it can it it can be emotional. I'll admit he just poured himself into into the music. And, you know, I think that's such a beautiful thing that, you know, we have all all these things that he left. And, you know, I think the great thing for me was like, he he was in nashville he grew he he was able to see my boys grow up he was able to see me become a man and you know have a you know get married and and you know get my life together and like have just you know he was able to see all that and you know when he died it obviously was was very devastating and you know we we miss him so much but you know it's great that our relationship we knew how we felt about each other you know and i think that's so hard for because a lot of times you don't get a chance to to have those types of relationships where you've you've said everything to each other you know that you you know you're always kind of like have regrets and i feel like my dad and i didn't have those regrets in our in our relationship and we, we he was just such a good a good dad and a, you know such a good grandfather to my kids and to my sister's kids
0: one of the things that impressed me about your family is you know your mom and dad went through a divorce Mm-hmm. I don't know what how old you were when that happened. How old were you? I was I was at UGA.
5: Yeah, so I was in college.
0: Yeah, but and I'm sure you know divorces can be ugly, but they continued always loved each other, and this her husband Joe, yeah. and just the the high road they took, and not only for for them for Cindy and Joe to embrace Bruce and Joe to allow Cindy to embrace Bruce. I mean, it's, it's different. And, but, but Bruce had to humble yeah. himself to go be embraced. Absolutely. And, and those, are, those are the kind of things that I talk mm-hmm. about. A lot of people listening to this, grown kids, that have seen their parents hate each other's guts. And, and you got to see a marriage that went wrong, but you got to see, and your grandkids got to see them continue to love each other. And they looking after him to the day he died
5: it isn't it a beautiful thing it really is you know i joked about it in in the obituary obituary about writing a sitcom about it because it is just you know we we realized just how funny it was and how incredible it was you know and you know it's a, it is definitely a testament to all three of them you know that they were able to have that relationship and you know be there for each other you know my dad had so many health issues over the years and you know if it weren't for my mom and Joe i don't think he would have made it as long as he did cuz you know joe was one of the best surgeons in the country and was able to get him great care and of course my mom was just you know there for him every day for for so long and it was just a beautiful thing and and you know it made it it made it really easy for me and my sister and our kids and our spouses to be able to you know we we'd go on our family vacations and <laughs> everyone would be there yeah and so you know we were able to have so many great family moments even after they they split up and it it almost just it just kind of never there was never that awkward stage and what it's called
0: your mama used the word in a text the other day to me it's called unconditional love that's what they would do and they were loving each other not based on whether they did it right or wrong it was just you're the mother of my children you're the father of my children i've loved you since i was a teenager And because I married a Joe doesn't mean I don't love you anymore. That's pretty incredible stuff. What do you want people to know
5: about your dad? I think I would, you know, the thing that I would want people to know was just how hard he worked and and how hard he fought for everything he achieved. And, you know, the road wasn't easy and he battled a lot of things in his life. um, But he was able to be a person who helped other people You know, he didn't just fight for himself. He fought for other people and other songwriters in town because I think he knew he knew from going through it how hard it was. You know, he didn't necessarily have that into the to the Nashville scene. And so he had he worked and worked and worked. And so as he had success and, and started having influence in town, he would take such an interest in younger writers and other people that were chasing their dreams and and help them. And, you know, that that led to him starting a music business program at UGA and he just and he ended up doing going to Kennesaw State and doing it and for now. So he was able to make this incredible impact in the world just by helping people and getting behind people and believing in people. And, you know, I think that's just such a, a great lesson for for all of us as humans to, you know, believe in people and to help them reach their full potential, because I think he did that for so many people out there that that came across him. He's one of those people where it's like, it seems like everyone's their best friend, you know, and it's cool, you know, when you, when you find people in your life like that and to have him as a dad, you know, um, I'm a little bit more introverted (laughs) and I'm looking at
0: you. I'm listening to you talk. He and Cindy have done well. I can tell you that in raising you, you got it honest too. I can tell you that. I think so. So you're about to hear, I got it honest. It'll be sung by Dana Birch, Matthew's wife, and Bruce Birch's daughter-in-law. This song was co-written by Bruce Birch, Aaron Tippin, and Marcus Franklin Johnson.
3: It ain't, a a it ain't that much different I'm plain-spoken, straight-talking, damn proud of what I have accomplished. Some folks appreciate that. Some-
0: To Athens, and he he started a, a really the music business school there. Right? Is that is that what he did,
4: David? He did. Uh, actually, I served on the board of the Terry College uh, School of Business for nine years, and Dean George Benson approached me one day, and he knew that Bruce was an education major at, at UGA but he knew Bruce was in the music business and he said, David, he said, you know, I really want to start uh, a certificate program in the business school and marry the business school and the music school into one program and call it the music and entertainment business certificate. And he said, do you think Bruce, having an education background, would be interested in helping us do that, and I said, well, I don't know, you know, he's embedded in country music in Nashville, and I'll certainly ask him, and Bruce had been doing some speaking at Belmont College, uh, the music school there in Nashville, so it was a natural progression for him to do that. He came to Athens, he lived in a loft downtown Athens, and loved the music scene there, and stayed there for five years, and would have been there longer, but Joel Katz, who is an entertainment lawyer in Atlanta that served on the Grammy Board of Directors with Bruce, he asked Bruce if he would come to Kennesaw State and start the program there. Bruce started the program there and stayed there about two and a half, three years, and then left there to come to Gainesville and actually started the music and entertainment business program at Bernal College.
0: During that time, he impacted a lot of people. There are students that went through all three of those things that he was teaching that give him a lot of credit for success that they've had. There have been some successful people that came out of those programs.
4: There have been. In fact, they have recently started a program at the University of Georgia to raise money for the music business program, and they've named the scholarship after Bruce. And one of Bruce's students... That he helped get her start in the business has made a very substantial gift to that uh, fund to help kick it off.
0: I know you have to have a lot of pride for, for the people he's impacted. You have seen that probably more than you imagine since he died and all the accolades he's getting on social media and the, what people thought of him how big his heart was. He was an imperfect human being. But the reality is you don't have to be perfect in this life to impact people. Thank God you don't have to be because if we none of us would impact a soul if we had to be. It's not about us. It's about what God's plan is for us. One of the songs I heard that I, I had never heard it on that memorial service was, I'm a Song. So you're about to hear I'm a Song performed by T.G. Shepard and it was written by Bruce Birch and Gary Nicholson.
6: I can make you cry Make you laugh Make you pray Make you dance That the sound should spread And the words are true I'll always be with you. I'm a soul. I'll sing. i live on. Even after the singer is gone, when you touch your heart and you sing along, I'm a part of you from the note I'm sung. I'll be there. When you fall in love, if it falls apart, I lift you up. When your baby's born, I'm a love I'm amazing grace. When the loved one dies, I'm a son, I'll live on, even after the singer is gone. If I touch your heart and sing along, I'm a part of you from the door, I'm soul, I'm a soul.
4: wrote that song uh, probably a year and a half before he died. And he would play that song because he went in the studio and had a demo done. And I told him when it, when I first heard it, I said, Bruce, this has got to be the best song you've ever written. I agree. I agree. And he, he kept trying to get it to the right people. Uh, it's been cut several times uh tg shepherd cut it and in fact he sang it on huckabee show one night on uh fox, streaming on fox and uh it's gotten a lot of traction and when i listen to the words of that song i think bruce wrote it about his life yeah
0: i mean you you can't help but think that his life was a song and it's going to live forever and, and he's going to live forever through his music. And yeah, you you, you can't help but think that. <laughs> it's very emotional. It's emotional for me to hear that song, knowing that when they were singing it there, that he had passed away. I mean, that's that was an yeah. incredible moment in that whole memorial service. It's
4: a wonderful well, song. To me, that song is the best song he ever wrote. And of course, the other song that I always loved is one that T. Graham Brown did called Turn the wine to water.
0: So this is T Graham Brown himself singing Wine into Water at Bruce's Celebration of Life in Nashville. This song was written by T Graham Brown, Bruce Birch, and Ted Hewitt. Bruce is the guy that brought the idea, man. What can you
7: say? You've heard a multitude of prayers on the have. And we pray one more is not too much, to I've tried to fight this battle by myself. But it's a war that I can't win without your help. Tonight I'm as low as any man. I'm down and I can't fall much farther. And once upon a time you turned the water into wine. And now on my knees I've turned to your floor. Could you help me turn the wine back into water?
4: if you if you if you know T I've known T since 1969. You may not remember this. Oh I do. Time. He
0: was in Athens, Dirk and Tony. I remember yeah, him they there. Had a
4: little, they had a little duo called Dirk and Tony. I remember Dirk, 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 Dirk too, yeah. And Tony Brown and they played every Friday night and Saturday night at the Holiday Inn. I've right. shagged many a song to their the song at the Holiday Inn that uh Dirk and Tony played. And Tony really wanted to go the country route. You, you'd, you'd hear about him playing out at the J&J Center. Remember the oh, J&J Center? Yeah.
0: I went to wrestling matches out there.
4: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and Tony ended up in Nashville. And, of course, instead of calling himself Tony Brown, he called himself T. Graham Brown because it was more country. And another fraternity brother, his, his brother Danny yep. Brown. Uh, I see him here at the lake. So, yep. Yeah. And we, we saw D.B. a lot in Nashville because he was his manager. Right. And so Bruce would travel with them a lot. And T. and Bruce and Danny would hang out. Bruce would write. He wrote some with T. But when you're on these buses traveling, you know, what do you do? You drink more than you probably should. And, uh, and T. said it best at the ceremony. He became a champion drinker. T. has changed a lot of people that had alcohol issues. Uh, that's one of their theme songs. And he, he has certainly been an inspiration to a lot of people, as well as being a funny guy and a good guy, too. Well,
0: again, that's a, another story for people listening to this. And you just heard that song. And I know if you're fighting that disease, that you just had tears well up in your eyes when you heard T. Graham singing him and Bruce's song. And again, for T. Graham Brown, it was his call. He had to decide: am I going to reach out for help? Or am I going to just destroy me and everybody around me? And, yeah. and, and he made a call. And the people that are listening to this, you, you also have, a, you can make a call. I mean, it's, it's, you can pick up the phone and one thing, but make a call that I'm not going to destroy everybody. And I want to do whatever I got to do to get help because there's help out there. There are people that play that song in AA meetings, David. I heard him saying when he was introducing the song, the feedback he's got from people that were about to kill themselves and everything else. That song came on the radio and who knows the impact that has had. You know, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you are in life, you always got decisions and it becomes your call. Nobody can make it for you and nobody can make that for him, uh, make that decision for, T. Graham Brown when he made it. Nobody can make it for whoever's listening to this, but you can make it. That's the inspiration, I think, that Bruce's life brings. David, let me ask you this. What makes you most proud of your brother? When you think about your brother, your imperfect brother, uh, your lifelong best friend outside of your wife, She, he was your best friend. When you look back over that, what makes you so proud of him?
4: More than anything, just the kind of guy he was. You know, Bruce, Bruce really gave everybody a chance. He didn't pass judgment on people. And it didn't matter whether we were walking down the street and there was somebody there begging for money. He'd be the first to stop and hand him his last dollar. That's just how he was. It didn't matter if you were black or white. He didn't see any color. He he loved he loved people. And I guess probably more than anything, just with all of the tough things he had going on in his life, uh, from leukemia to you know highs and lows of depression and and things like that, he always stayed positive. He never complained about any of his issues. He was always more concerned about his fellow man. And there aren't many people out there like that anymore. He was, he was, he was a special guy. He helped a lot of people. He gave back. Uh, I've got a saying, you're either a giver or a taker. And I categorize people as givers or takers. And one of the things that I always uh, embrace about Bruce is Bruce was a giver all his life. He was also always asking, "How can I help? How can I? How can I make you better? Help you become better?" And he did that with me all the time because. Lord knows, uh, when it comes to judging people, I'm, I'm at the wrong end of the stick sometimes. And Bruce would always tell me, he said, David, you're a better man than that. And I'd always look back and say, you know, you're right. Like you, I, I heard a lot of people over my lifetime say things, and there was a guy from Mississippi named Charlie Flowers but he talked about, when you're being lowered into your grave at the end of your life, Do you want people standing around the grave saying, he was a great CEO, he was a great president, he was a great this, titles, what are your titles? Or do you want them giving testimony to what a great person you were? And in Bruce's case, when we lowered him into the ground, everybody has been giving testimony to what a great guy he was all of his life.
7: the country undertaker